Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? Hi, I'm Brody. I'm Leighton. And you're listening to History Goes Bump. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. spooktacular people welcome to this 237th episode of the history ghost bump podcast ghost tours for the theater of the mind i am your host diane and this is denise on this episode we are going over to haunted gettysburg and checking out gettysburg college this was suggested to us by our listener katie bigelow and she will be joining us shortly to share her experiences not only with growing up in gettysburg but also attending gettysburg college and denise her last name is bigelow just like the t but for people who know a thing or two about skinwalker ranch as far as we know she has no relation to the man who actually owns that ranch his last name is bigelow as well Okay, good. We'd rather have her be a tea girl than a skinwalker ranch girl. Yeah, we don't want any skinwalkers around here. We want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Phoenix. Hey, Phoenix. Candace with a K and an H. Hi, Candace with a K and H. Shannon. Hey, Shannon. Kathy with a C and an I. Hello, Kathy with a C and an I. And Allison with one L. And Allison with one L. Welcome. And now, this moment in oddity. There are around 3,200 species of the treehopper insect. One of these is the Brazilian treehopper, which seems to be a part of the Adams family branch of the insect family. This is an insect that leads a solitary life in treetops, feeding off the sap and leaf stems. Pretty normal bug stuff until you see the thing. The Brazilian treehopper has an odd antenna-like appendage that sticks up out of its body, and this antenna has four round appendages coming off of that. Each of those have little hairs covering them. They look almost like four eyes looking off in different directions. There's also a long spike-shaped piece that comes off the rear of this attachment. Scientists are unsure if they actually have a purpose, such as to scare off predators, or if they're meant to be ornamental. Now you know you want to go Google an image, so do it. We think you will agree that the Brazilian treehopper certainly is odd. Victoria Bigglesworth Hayes and I run the lift. It's a very busy time of year and there's lots to do. So hello and Merry Christmas to everyone who listens to the lift and history goes bump. We hope you all have a wonderful Christmas. Now I'm off to visit some old man named Scrooge who is going to have quite a surprise when he rides my lift. (laughs) And now this month in history. Thank you. 
the month of December, on the 5th, in 1967, the silver bridge that spanned the Ohio River in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, collapses. The silver bridge was an I-bar chain suspension bridge that was built in 1928. The bridge got its name from the silver paint that was painted on the aluminum frame. Just before sundown on that cold December 5th day, commuters were making their way home from work, either driving back across into Ohio or West Virginia. An I-bar that helped suspend the bridge fractured and the 1,800-foot structure fell into the river. Forty-six people lost their lives and nine others were seriously hurt. One of the survivors was Charlene Wood, who was pregnant at the time and driving a 1967 Pontiac. She said of the event, As I was approaching the bridge, the light changed. When it went to green, I started over the bridge and there was a terrible shaking of the bridge. My father was a riverboat captain and had talked about barges hitting the bridge and the pier. So when I heard that, I automatically put my car in reverse. Her car stalled and she continued. By the time I got my car stopped, mine was on the very edge where it broke off. Many people believe the legendary Mothman either caused the tragedy or brought a warning that it was going to happen when he is rumored to have appeared before the bridge collapsed. Gettysburg is a town that is well known for its haunts. The place is steeped in history from the bloody Battle of Gettysburg to one of the most well-known presidential speeches of all time, the Gettysburg Address, given by President Abraham Lincoln. So it only makes sense that spirits would be alive and well here. One location that is overshadowed by the Gettysburg battlefield, but which seems to be just as haunted, is Gettysburg College. The college was founded before the Civil War in 1832. Fighting forces would cross the campus, and several buildings would become field hospitals during the Battle of Gettysburg. Listener and executive producer Katie Bigelow suggests this location, and she shares with us her experience of growing up in Gettysburg and attending Gettysburg College, along with the stories of many spirits that still seem to be hanging around the campus in the afterlife. Anti-slavery theologian Samuel Simon Schmucker founded Pennsylvania College in 1832, and that's what Gettysburg College was originally called. In 1837, the college moved into Pennsylvania Hall. This hall was built on land donated by abolitionist congressman Thaddeus Stevens. Stevens was a lawyer for many years in Gettysburg before getting involved in politics. He eventually became the largest landowner in Gettysburg, which is why he had this land to donate. He was fiercely against slavery, and after the Civil War, he made it his goal to get African Americans their civil rights during Reconstruction. He obtained this goal when he authored the 14th Amendment, which guaranteed full civil rights to citizens of all states. It is only fitting that the most important battle of the Civil War would be fought in Gettysburg, and it was a great Union victory. The college expanded and grew over the years after the war. In 1921, Pennsylvania College became Gettysburg College. The campus now stretches over 225 acres and sits adjacent to the Gettysburg National Military Park. There are over 90 buildings on the main campus. Pennsylvania Hall still stands and serves as the administration building. There is the College Union Building, Eddie Plank Gym, Masters Hall, Breidenbaugh Hall, Musselman Library, Wiedensaw Hall, McKnight Hall, Glattfelter Hall, Schmucker Hall, Brew Hall, and various dorms and fraternities. The quad is located outside of the library and is nicknamed Stein Lake. There is no lake here, but several decades ago, a large muddy pond would form in this area due to bad drainage. That issue has been taken care of, but the nickname has remained. We are joined by our listener, Katie Bigelow, and she suggested to us Gettysburg College because this is somewhere that she attended. How are you, Katie? I'm great. 
I actually grew up in Gettysburg as well. A little bit of a twofer. <laughs> oh, awesome. that's awesome. Mm-hmm. When you talk about hauntings in Gettysburg, those two things just seem to go hand in hand. Yeah, kind of. So is that the reason why you have an interest in the paranormal? Because you grew up in a haunted city or was there something else that caught your attention? I think it's a little bit of a mix of that. And uh, I have a a lot of Scottish and uh, Irish and Welsh in my history and my own background. And so telling stories was always something that I grew up around with my parents. And there's a lot of old legends and a lot of them have to do with the paranormal from that, that background and that culture. That's part of it. And then, yeah, Gettysburg is a when you grow up there, you have a healthy respect for it. And there's definitely, even if you've never seen anything, you've heard all of these stories and you've heard about what happens to other people. And, and I grew up actually right next to the battlefield. So my backyard was, was the battlefield. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> We're not impressed yeah. at all with that. <laughs> Can you tell? Yeah. The interesting thing about the where the Battle of Gettysburg happened is mm-hmm. people will talk about places that are haunted and you're kind of like, yeah, mm-hmm. okay, well, whatever. But the stories that I've heard about the battlefield and ghosts that people have seen are so mm-hmm. convincing to me because I always hear it from people who are like, I'm a total skeptic, but I mm-hmm. saw this. And yeah. It's just amazing how many stories there are. So since mm-hmm. this was basically your backyard, have mm-hmm. you seen anything there? I've had a couple of experiences, both in Gettysburg and in other places throughout my life. I I never saw it, but we would hear it constantly was music. How my backyard is set up is there's a house, a little bit of the yard that is my parents, and then basically a big open field. And that was the site of the, the first day, the fighting. It's kind of on the north edge of town. There's a little, some kind of rolling hills and what's called the peace light, which is a, uh, a kind of eternal flame that's that's set up. It's very pretty at night. You know, I'd, I'd often have to walk my dog back there when I was younger in high school. And, you know, the dog would you know, have to go to the bathroom later at night. And you would hear music, Civil War music, a lot of times. Wow. And again, this this is a big open field. It's flat. There's probably a, a, at least a mile or two to some to the next house. And so it's just black. And there would be music, like fifes and drums playing very distinct like Civil War era music. And multiple people in my neighborhood would hear it. My parents have both heard it. I've heard it. And, and, but you'd never see anything. You would never see people out there. It would just be the music. And that was always very strange. My dog did not like it at all. <laughs> It was interesting. You said this is at night. So obviously yes. this mm-hmm. isn't reenactors out there or somebody who's if just there out are, there. That's very strange, too. <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah, so no. And it's it's also not a part of town that you see reenactors in very much. The town is a little separated into the touristy part, which is more in the south end of the town, which, again, there's not very much town. It's a it's a small place. The north part is much more, it's like residential and it's also the college. So the college kind of dominates that part. So you're really not going to see that many tourists in my neighborhood and in that area. So in the same way, you're not going to see many reenactors. So it's just, if it, if it is like a real person, that was, that's still weird. Yeah. It's still just never something we could, we could explain. So you've had experiences at other places too. Would you mm-hmm. mind telling us about those? Sure. So my other big, I think, Gettysburg experience is I used to work when I was in high school in a, in a tourist shop. It sold 
antiques and t-shirts and postcards, silly things like that. But it was part of what was the orphanage. After the battle, they set up a an orphanage for uh, Civil War orphans in, in the town. And it was not the best place. Uh, we'll put it that way. It was... I, I, I try to remember what you covered in the Gettysburg episode. I feel like you may have touched on the orphanage. I can't um, remember either. <laughs> yeah. But the, the orphanage was, uh, she was, it was run by, uh, it was one of those places it was started with some very good intentions, but run by a woman who did not have good intentions. And the kids were treated very poorly in this place. And I'm just a regular teenager just trying to run a summer job and make some money. And things would happen in this shop constantly that it would be, it's some of it's very typical, things would move, you'd hear children, and there wouldn't be anybody out on the sidewalk outside, like you'd hear kids running around and laughing, but it'd be very quiet, very kind of muffled. But the strangest thing that ever happened is we had one of those theft detectors, you know, the things that the alarm things that go off when mm-hmm. you walk through the without taking the little tags off. Sure. And I was just sitting in the store watching the movie Gettysburg for the thousandth time because that was the only thing we were ever allowed to play. The uh, detector started going off you know, with the alarm and it would go off not necessarily in like a pattern. It would just kind of randomly go off. And my boss came in to see what was going on. And we figured, okay, is there something wrong with it? Must be malfunctioning. So he turned it on, turned it back off again, messed with it, tried to kind of make it go off, and it wouldn't. So like he would, he would try and and set it off, wouldn't, but then it would. You'd walk three feet away, and it would go off. So he finally tur- decided, you know, forget it, and he unplugged it, walked towards the back of the store, and as he was walking out the door, it started going off again. Oh no! <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Yeah, it, and it was unplugged. So wow. Again, if somebody else can explain that, that's great. I cannot. That was strange. That's so, definitely strange because I'm sitting there thinking somebody was fooling around with him. And but- because this was the orphanage, you know, there were a lot of stories when I worked in that shop that it was the kids mm-hmm. that they would mess with things and play with things. So that was weird. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So. There's been plenty of times driving on the battlefield at night, especially growing up there and being a local. You kind of try to avoid it if you can, but it's sometimes shorter to drive through the battlefield than it is to cut through town. So there's a lot of places that you you just don't go um, <laughs> growing up there. Like we would go out there and try and you try and scare each other, see how long you can stay out there. But there's even some places we would never go to places like Devil's Den or the wheat field or back in the that area near the woods it just was too creepy it was people would see things hear things you would often like hear stories about men crying and cr- like in pain and things mm-hmm. like that again i didn't but i knew people who this is probably not the the nicest thing but again you know a small town we all grew up together but you'd have new kids come in and you try and scare them and <laughs> take them out to the battlefield and see how long they can stay out there and yeah, people would hear things. I would definitely hear friends in high school say, especially people who lived out there or had to go through the battlefield to get to where they live. The other thing about Gettysburg is the town is in a little bit of a valley and there are mountains on the north and west side and a lot of people live in that area. So you have to go through parts of the battlefield to get home. And it would just be, it would be strange. And again, it's like everything in that in town is haunted and that's what people say. You have to take some of it with a grain of salt. My brand new high school, which was built in 2000, 
two or something like that was haunted because it had been built on the site of a field hospital and it was like everything just transferred over. So it was things like that. You would just hear a lot of stories about people's experiences and you have a healthy respect from it. Well, it makes sense because like you said, it is, it's not a huge city. And then no, when you it's think, only about 7,000 people. Yeah, every building practically was used as a hospital because you had so yes. many injured people that they didn't have anywhere else mm-hmm. to take them. They really didn't. After the battle, both of the armies got out pretty quickly, especially the Confederates. So they basically left behind anybody that they couldn't carry. And for the Union, that they were often taken care of as much as possible and, and given as much of a proper burial as possible. The Confederates really weren't. If they died, they were pretty much put into mass graves, some of which have never been found, which mm. is a whole other thing. Sure. So they, they say there's about a thousand people still unaccounted for. That could be that they were prisoners. That could be that they were, they, they ran away. It could mean that they were killed and just never identified. When the town, the stories about the town after the battle are pretty horrific about what the people had to deal with and, and the smell is another thing that you'll hear a lot. People actually used to use handkerchiefs dipped in things like peppermint and lavender and mints to try and cover up the smell. Because, again, this is July. Mm. And while we don't get as hot as Florida, it's pretty hot and it's pretty humid. And having that many dead people and horses, that's the other thing, people would do anything they could to try and cover up the smell. And they say that in the summer you can still smell the the peppermint from that the handkerchiefs that everybody was carrying around. Thank um, good that's the part that you smell. <laughs> I know, I was about to say, yes. first when she said you can still smell, I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, no, apparently it's the peppermint. Again, not something I've experienced, but the other thing with Gettysburg is when you're local, in the summer you try and, and leave because we try and avoid the tourists as much as possible. <laughs> uh, we welcome them and we thank them for bringing money to the town, but sure. we try and hide <laughs> as much as possible. We're no, going to be converging on you in September, so you won't oh, be able great. to hide from us. You can't, you can't run or hide. <laughs> it's a good time to come, actually, because it's not crazy busy, but stuff is still open. You'll still get, be able to do some tours and, and see some experiences. And if you get here in time for the leaves to change, the mountains are the Appalachian Mountains, so we're, it's very pretty. We will definitely, <laughs> we're definitely going to be there, so it'll be fun. That's great. <laughs> So you went to Gettysburg College. Did you go all four mm-hmm. years there? I spent a year abroad, oh. but for the most part, yeah. And what years did you attend? 2004 to 2008. Very cool. Mm-hmm. This college, just an overview of it, I went, wow, what a great mm-hmm. place to attend because mm-hmm. it is steeped in history because this college yes. literally goes all the way back to the Civil War. It goes a little bit further than that, actually. So when did it so. open? So the college was founded in 1832 by Samuel Schmucker. Uh, he was a Lutheran theologian. Lutheranism is pretty solid, both within Gettysburg College. It's affiliated, but also in Gettysburg itself. And he was anti-slavery. He was very big into all of those movements. And it was associated with the Gettysburg Seminary, which is still in existence today for a long time. But um, eventually they separated into two different schools of thought. And two different institutions as well. And was it open Mm -hmm. to both men and women at that time? No, it opened to women in the 1880s. So originally it was just men, but it did accept women fairly early compared to some schools. So when the Civil War started, the college actually got a little bit involved because the armies came through there. And Yep. 
At the time, the college was pretty much just one building. It's now called Pennsylvania Hall, and it's this big white building. Uh, it actually, I do remember you talked about your elevator story. This is the place that that happened. And uh, pretty much everything was held in that building. Classes, dorms, offices. And it was also the largest building in town at the time. When you look at pictures of, of Gettysburg from the time, it kind of stands out as a just very large white building with a cupola on top. And that was a big deal because, again, this area is a little, it's kind of hilly and we've got some mountains in the background, but you want the high ground in town. And because the town itself is built in a valley, there are two hills on either side and those played a key role in the battle. So being able to see from a high distance was a huge deal. It was initially held by the Union and then eventually after that by the Confederates and they both used it as a lookout station and obviously a hospital. Since that was used (laughs) as a hospital, are Mm -hmm. there rumors of hauntings there? Yes, absolutely. So there's a couple of different things that from about the Penn Hall and how it was used. I found some casualties that were about 700 people were treated from both sides in Penn Hall while it was used as a hospital, and most of them died. Again, medicine during the Civil War, not the best. (laughs) Many people, again, at the time, because the townspeople were just trying to get things as as cleaned as they could, were basically buried where they were. And then if they could, they dug them up and reburied them in something like the National Cemetery, or if they were identified, they were sent home. But many people still were not. This is something I remember hearing growing up that many times the only way to try and treat bullet wounds was amputation. And when they were finished with the amputations, because there were so many, they literally just threw them out the window. They would throw the arms and legs out the window. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Again, these are sometimes you growing up in town, you hear the stories that they don't tell on the tours. And they're usually a little bit more gruesome. And I remember hearing that the piles of arms and legs for Penn Hall were so large that they reached the second story window. Oh, my and God. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I don't know how much of that is true, but I do remember hearing that many times growing up. The most famous story that you'll hear about Penn Hall is the elevator story. My mom actually still works at Gettysburg College. She's worked there since the early 80s. And this story has been around for a very long time. And she actually knows the two women that it happened to. And she worked in that building for a long time. And while she said that nothing ever happened to her there, it was a creepy, creepy place to work. It was, you know, it's an old building. It's a lot of noises and also just students wandering around sometimes in places they're not supposed to be. So that happens sometimes, too. The elevator story is that that two women were taking the elevator from one of the higher floors down to the first floor. They were leaving one night after work. Instead of going to the floor that they wanted to, the elevator took them all the way to the basement. And when the door opened to the basement, there was a scene basically out of a horror movie that they saw a Civil War hospital scene with men being amputated on and screams and cries and blood everywhere. And they saw a hospital, either a doctor or an orderly who saw them and tried to beckon to them to come and help him. They said he looked frazzled and, you know, completely overwhelmed. And of course, they're frantically pressing the buttons, trying to get the doors to close and take them anywhere but the basement. Eventually, the doors closed and they went upstairs, terrified out of their minds, found a security guard 
And he went back down to the basement with them and there was nothing there. But this story has definitely made its rounds. It's the most famous thing that you'll hear about Penn Hall. Well, the thing with that is it was a shared story. It wasn't just one person Mm -hmm. reporting it, that they both saw that. So, wow. Yeah, it's I've taken that elevator and it's old. It's kind of rickety. And I've been to the basement. Now it's just files and shelves and stuff. It's pretty boring, actually. But you can see why it, it would creep people out having no control over that and seeing something that you only ever hear about. Yeah, I can see how that would be absolutely terrifying. Well, what's interesting about it, too, is it's almost like you've gone back in time when you go down Mm -hmm. the elevator. There's an interaction there. So it's an intelligent Mm -hmm. because he's seeing them and he's motioning, come help me. Mm -hmm. So that's just bizarre. Yeah, there's a couple stories like that throughout Gettysburg where you'll have people interacting with ghosts. There's another story of a, a soldier at Devil's Den, which was a scene of a lot of very intense fighting that people interact with what they think is a reenactor. and But there's nobody supposed to be doing that. There's nobody registered with the Park Service. And this guy's been seen a couple of times. But there's also things that are more like the residual, like they're just replaying. So it's a definitely mix. The other thing that you'll hear about Penn Hall is the cupola up on on Penn Hall where there's a flag now and it's right now it's very very nicely lit with uh, like lights for Christmas and things that people will see a signal officer up there. Sometimes like the people don't really say what he if he's Union or Confederate. It's hard to tell, but people will see a man up there and you really like you can't really get up there. It's not really something you can do. It's locked and you need special privileges to go up there. But they'll see people up there just walking across campus and he either tries to signal at them like, come help me, or he points a gun at them. <laughs> so, and it's a, you know, like a Civil War replica rifle. So they'll see, that's something that people have seen a couple times and they'll go and get a security guard and they'll go up and check and there's nobody up there. So he's been seen a couple of times and a lot of times it's students that will see him and it's usually pretty late at night. Oh, that would be pretty freaky. You're just walking home from mm-hmm. studying or something, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you see this guy up there. Penn Hall is also right next to the library, so I'm sure there are many people who are leaving the library late at night. Are all the ghosts that they have there, do they all date back to the Civil War, or do you have some other ones? So I actually have a couple. Uh, most of them will date from the Civil War, but I have a couple. My dad interviewed a couple security guards a few years ago, and they had some other ones that I can't quite explain. And they don't really, they're not well-known stories, but they're kind of interesting. One uh, story is actually from Penn Hall, is that a security guard was walking outside and he saw a woman on a bicycle and she was naked. And he tried to follow her to say, hey, what's going on? Put some clothes on. <laughs> yes. Why are you doing this? And she turned into into where the door is to Penn Hall. And there are some big steps coming up the front of, of Penn Hall. And he found a bike leaning up against the steps, but he could never find her. And Weird. he went inside the building looking around. Yeah, that was very strange. There are two other buildings on campus that are really, really well known for ghosts. One is uh, Gladfelter Hall, which is actually right next to Penn Hall. And it's it's another older building on campus built in 1899. And it's a very kind of, it's a Romanesque revival building. And it's got a very tall clock tower in the front. It's red brick and it's very pretty, but and kind of looks like a castle. 
And it's again, it's hard to get up to the bell tower, but my mom and my brother have actually been up there and taken some cool pictures. You can see the whole campus. It's very pretty. But there's a story that there was a lover's suicide pact that happened in the tower and the girl jumped off, but her boyfriend did not. He chickened out. Great. So, yeah, so she is still seen up in the tower and she will often try to appear to young men to try and get her to come up and jump off the tower with her. Uh, And that building is, it's got a lot of classrooms. It's a social science building. So there's a lot of people in there and a lot of students in there often very late at night. Apparently she only appears to the guys, but nobody's jumped off, but she tries to get them to, to jump off. I did some research to try and see if I could find any historical data on that, and I couldn't. So I don't know how much that is true, but it's still a fun story. It is a fun story, and we've heard those before where there's this suicide Mm -hmm. pact and then somebody Mm -hmm. doesn't hold up their end of it. You could see why the other one might come back as a ghost and say, hey, what happened? (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. It's like, hey, my life's gone, and then you chicken out. Exactly. So you can hear the bell also on a regular basis. I think she's supposed to appear at midnight, something like that, when the bell goes off. You can see her from the ground, and then she also appears in the stairs leading up to the bell tower as well. And that's where she tries to find the guys to jump off the tower with her. And then another story that my dad heard from a security guard was that he was in Gladfelter Hall, and he was doing some, you know, doing his rounds in the basement. And he found a set of muddy footprints going from one hall to the other, like one side of the hallway to the other disappearing through the walls. And he had just checked this whole space and there was nobody in the building and cleaned them up and was very confused by it. Went to do check to see if the, the door was locked upstairs, came back down and they were back. Oh, wow. That was very strange. And again, like one, no doors on either side, just one wall from the other. Like somebody walked through the walls. Oh, geez, and muddy footprints are like something very tangible to see. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other big story, and this was the one that freaked me out the most as a kid. I slept with my blinds and my curtains closed for years because of this story. The Blue Boy. Stevens Hall is a dormitory, and it's one of the older ones on campus. It's across the quad from where Penn Hall and the library and Gladfelter Hall are. There are a section that's mostly the academic buildings, and then there's across the street is the Lutheran Church and the dormitories, and Stevens Hall is one of them. Stevens Hall, I'm not sure when it was built, but probably around the 1870s, 1880s, and it was for a long time, an all-girls dormitory. And it was actually an all-girls preparatory school before it became associated with the college. Women were admitted in 1883. So this story is supposed to take place a little bit before that. The story is that uh, the orphanage that I talked about earlier, which is kind of across the town, but again, small town, so there's not like a ton of space, maybe half a mile between the two buildings, that a little boy ran away from the orphanage and he hid with girls from this prep school. The girls were not allowed to have any boys in the building, little boy or men or anything. So he was hiding with them and either the house mother or headmistress came to knock on the door and so they had to hide him very quickly. And they put him on the windowsill outside and told him just to stand out there, be careful and wait. This is in the middle of winter. And Pennsylvania winters are not kind. 
And so they thought they would only be a few minutes and then the headmistress would go away and they could open the window and let the little boy in. Turned out that it was quite a while that the headmistress took them downstairs and talked to them for a long time. And when they came back up, of course, they ran up, ran to the window to get him out of the cold and he wasn't there. And of course, their first thought is that he fell. And they looked down and they couldn't find any indentations in the snow that he had fallen. They went down stairs to look to try and find him. They couldn't find him. They never found him. They don't know what happened to him. The story is that he now haunts Stevens Hall. And he haunts especially the third floor, which is where this was supposed to have happened. Students will hear a voice. And it's always women that hear it. It's, it's not men. They'll hear a little voice that says something like, I'm cold. I'm cold. Help me. And when they open the blinds or open the window, there's a little face of a a boy and it's blue, hence the name. And he says, I'm cold. If they don't answer the voice, I mean, he'll knock at the windows too. I remember one story that was a girl saw help me written in the frost on her window, but it was written backwards. Like it was written from outside. Weird. Quite a few people have heard that story, talked about that story, seen him, heard him. And it's against the third floor of Stevens hall. Yeah. That one terrified me as a kid. Well, I wouldn't want to see it either. And you answered a question I was going to ask you. I was mm-hmm. going to say, do they call him Blue Boy because he was wearing blue mm-hmm. or because he was frozen? Sounds like it was because, because he, he was, was frozen. frozen. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yep. I did a little bit of research on that one, too. I'm a little iffy on the timing. The orphanage closed in 1877. Um, like I said, it didn't run for very long from about the end of the Civil War in 1865 to 1877. That's when the cruel lady was running it and... And then they did, but they didn't start accepting women at Gettysburg until 1833. So I'm not sure about the timing on that one, but that's the story. So I never lived in Stevens Hall, but I know people who did. And they, the third floor especially was creepy, but it did get some renovations not too long ago. So it's less creepy now. So in addition to the Battle of Gettysburg, we also have a connection with Dwight Eisenhower. He was part of a training camp on the battlefield before. The Civil War, and that's kind of how he found Gettysburg. And after he served as president, he actually retired to Gettysburg. And he and his wife decided to live here. And he wrote his memoirs in what is now the admissions house of Gettysburg, which just got a very nice renovation. And uh, he was actually on the board of trustees for a long time. He, They eventually moved to a, a farm outside of town, which is now known as the Eisenhower Farm. And you can tour it. And he lived there until his death in in, uh, 1969. And he's pretty well known in the town. I actually went to Eisenhower Elementary School, which doesn't exist anymore. But that had a very big, creepy oil painting of President Eisenhower. So uh, one of those ones that follows you with its eyes. (laughs) Oh, sure. (laughs) Yeah. I had no idea he had such a connection to the city. Yeah, his uh, his kids are actually still pretty involved with the college. They'll do a lot of events and things like that, and they're also very involved with the with the Eisenhower farm as well. And uh, there's you're supposed to be able to see him both in the admissions house and on the Eisenhower farm. the The farm has more stories, which I don't know as well. And they a lot, some of them have to do with Mamie as well, his wife, and moving things around and changing things. Apparently she doesn't like it if you change things. But he is seen apparently in the admissions house just kind of walking around and staring. And like I said, he wrote his memoirs there. And there's actually a leadership, like a leadership scholarship that's 
that's run out of uh, the Eisenhower Foundation. So, yeah, he's pretty, pretty solidly connected with yeah. Gettysburg. Yeah, now, when I was just kind of skimming some mm-hmm. of the information, they also had a house early in his military career that was mm-hmm. right across the street from the college, correct? And it eventually became one of the fraternities? Yeah, a lot of houses have been fraternities and now they're something else. Okay. Uh, so now it's where that scholarship is, that leadership program is run out of. Oh, okay. Yeah, but he did used to be a fraternity and that's where he was when he was doing the the training camp. Okay. So he had a couple different houses in town. The other thing is that there are a lot of smaller houses throughout campus that are now, they were owned by maybe individual people, but now they're part of the college. One of them is a fraternity house that's actually right next to my parents' house. And there's supposed to be a little boy in that in that house that is often seen at fraternity parties. Oh, great. Um, yeah. That he, but he can only come in like one part of the house. There's a newer part and an older part of the house. He can only come in one part. There's another one where the old owner used to apparently hug themselves and you're supposed to still be able to see the noose on the stairwell. And it's now, I want to say it's the environmental house. It's an it's a themed house building. I'm not exactly sure what it is now because they move them around sometimes. But you'll hear a lot of things like that, that there'll be these more individual houses. And again, one of the big things to notice when you go and visit Gettysburg is on many of the buildings, you'll see a small little plaque. And if it has that, that means that building was there during the battle, just a little metal plaque on on the buildings. And so that'll give you a sense about what that building was, when it was built, where, and what it might have been used for. And like you said earlier, most of the buildings that were there during the battle were eventually used either to house soldiers or to as, as hospitals. And so I have a friend's house growing up that's actually right on the same block as Gettysburg. And her house is a Civil War house. And you can actually see indentations in the brick from when it was hit by cannonballs. So you'll see things like that a lot. And that house was definitely haunted. I did not like staying over there when we were kids. It was very creepy. I can't tell you much except that I remember always hearing footsteps on the third floor and nobody would be up there. And yeah, I did not like that as a kid. No, I would think not. It was a fun place to grow up. It was fun to, again, small town, very rural, very country. That area is very agricultural. So it's mostly orchards and farms around that area. There's a lot of stories around uh, what's called the wheat field, which is a little section, which, again, I've heard so many people died on this little half a mile stretch well, the other thing I wanted to ask you, going back to the history, mm-hmm. is obviously Abraham Lincoln mm-hmm. was there to give the Gettysburg yes. Address. Do you guys do anything mm-hmm. in town to commemorate that? Mm-hmm. Yep. There's a, It's called Remembrance Day, and it's on whatever weekend falls closest to November 19th, which was the day of the speech. And we have a man who dresses up like Abraham Lincoln, and he gives the speech, and we have a parade and everything, and they... They reenact it on Cemetery Hill. So Cemetery Hill is where it's very aptly named. It's where the cemetery is. And it's both Evergreen Cemetery, which is the town's cemetery. It's actually uh, the founder of Gettysburg College is buried there. And it's also the National Soldiers Cemetery. So that's the military cem- cemetery where most of the soldiers, the un- it's almost entirely the Union soldiers. There are some Confederates, but it's mostly Union soldiers are buried there. And you can still be buried there if you are a military veteran. And there's a little stand that they'll have set up and he'll give the Gettysburg Address, which you all had to memorize in fifth grade. It's very nice. It's very it's kind of a little bit of a revival because the season is usually over by that point. 
So you'll see people come back and it's usually pretty cold in November, but it's still nice to have this member, this thing. And as a kid as well, we would usually do things for school to do that. That and Memorial Day are two very big days in Gettysburg. So we have parades for both of those days and kids usually bring flowers, to the military cemetery and lay them on the different graves. So it's, it's pretty nice. It's a nice uh, memorial. If anybody has any questions or uh, wants any recommendations on places to go in town, I'd be happy to give them out. Very cool. What's your favorite place Mm -hmm. to eat there? Uh, Tommy's. All right. Put that down on the list, Denise. (laughs) It's a pizza and sub place. It's been there forever and they have the best stuff. Very cool. Katie, thank you so much for suggesting Gettysburg College to us and coming on and talking about your hometown. Yeah. I also, uh, I live in Baltimore now. So if anybody has any questions about that, I... I'd be happy. I actually work right across the street from the uh, the ships that you talked about a couple a w- little while ago. So you move from one haunted area to another one. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so I hope Absolutely. you're planning on meeting up with us when we come in September of 2018. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah we'll, oh, we'll yeah, be in definitely. Maryland too. So. Yeah, because we're going to cool. be probably that's going to be our home base. We're going to find a campground in Maryland and just stay there and then kind of go out like a hub to go see mm-hmm. all the sites. Well, we have some great state parks here, so it's definitely worth it. And I've heard I'm supposed to eat crab. Absolutely, with Old Bay. With Old Bay, okay. Yes, Old Bay is a spice here in Maryland, and it is religious. You must eat crabs with Old Bay. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) I'll make sure, because that's the one thing we like to do when we travel. We don't want to eat like Mm -hmm. chain restaurants. We want the local flavor, so... Mm-mm. You and yeah, it, it's it's a requirement. You're with Old Bay. <laughs> All right, so we'll we'll be doing it. Definitely, I look forward to meeting you guys. All right, we'll have All a right. great evening, Katie. Yes, thank you. You too. Thank you guys. All right, bye bye. Bye bye bye. Katie shared many tales of haunting experiences people have had throughout the years at the college. Are these students and faculty just imagining these occurrences? Is Gettysburg College haunted? That is for you to decide. Another place for us to check out when we are in Gettysburg. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, and that's going to be in less than a year. I can't wait. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And occasionally people leave comments on the website. Elio wrote, I just found this podcast and in two days I've listened to the first 20 episodes. Finally, a podcast as dark and odd as I am, LOL. Love what I've heard so far. Looking forward to listening to even more episodes. I will get caught up in no time. Great job. Well, thank you, Elio. We appreciate that. Just want to remind everybody that we will be live streaming on Christmas Eve night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. We'll be sharing some of the fiction from our flash fiction contest that was not read on our anniversary special. We'll be doing the rest of those during this and maybe reading a couple of classic ghost stories as well. We'll be doing it from our YouTube channel. We did create an event over on Facebook, so that has the links there. I've tweeted it out, and if you would like to get that direct link, go ahead and email us, and I will send that out to you. But if you go to our YouTube channel, you should be able to watch us there. We have some reviews to share from Apple Podcasts. The first one is from Sheep for Him, binging complete five stars. Shoo, took over three months to get through all of the episodes. I love the moment noddity, and I'm so glad that you kept this month in history. I also love all the history before the scary ghost tales. Can't wait to visit some of these places, and I will be checking out my local cemeteries. Well, good for you, and thank you for that. The best review person ever, bump four stars. 
I really enjoy this podcast. I just discovered it a few weeks ago. And after I listened to a recent one, I went back and started from the beginning. And I listened to two episodes every day while I walk my dogs. I love Diane and Denise. They're adorable. I like how the episodes have three parts and how much care is taken to research the haunted sites. I love getting all the little nuggets of history, the odd, the haunted, and the ordinary. And even though sometimes the topics can be dark, this is a delightful podcast. Thanks for being entertaining, educational, and G-rated. Well, you are welcome. And Homeschool Rocks, easy and fun, five stars, pleasant, fun, and informative. Well, thank you for that. I want to thank you all for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producer, Elizabeth Dries. And thank you to Mackenzie Grundle for increasing your pledge. Thanks, ladies. Be sociable, drop the chain rattling, neck biting and shape shifting and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us.